Hey, stay standing just for a second. Um, we're getting ready to uh, say our scripture this morning together, and I'd love for us to stay standing for that. Uh, before we do that, I just wanna let you know that when we started this Colossians series this summer, we decided that we were going to incorporate some spiritual disciplines as a part of this. And so we, we corporately want to memorize some of the scripture that we're gonna be looking at this summer. Uh, we wanna memorize a couple of verses in chapter one and a couple of verses in chapter two of Colossians. Last week when Gary was preaching, he said, when a person is filled with knowledge and wisdom, then that person begins to walk differently. That that person begins to live differently. And the best way that I know to put knowledge and wisdom in this noggin of ours is to memorize scripture and hide it in our hearts. So I'm gonna encourage you, we got some magnets at various places around the room. Before you leave, will you grab this? This actually has the scripture on it that we'll be memorizing. Uh, the scripture is today's text. Our text is six verses. The memorization is only two. That's what we're gonna say together and the rest of the verses we will cover in the context of the message in just a little bit. So let's read together and this is what I want you to memorize. Let's read together Colossians 1, verse 15 and 16. Here we go, say it with me. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You may have a seat and as you are taking a seat, I know Trace mentioned it, but students, man, Served Alice was awesome. Uh, I am absolutely proud of you. Uh, I love Served Alice. I've loved it uh, the last several years that has happened. And, and I made a commitment to come and be a part of your worship services because if you don't know, Served Alice worship services are epic. I mean, they are fantastic, right? You have students that are praying for one another. You have students that are asking for forgiveness. You have students that are coming to faith. You have students that are worshiping in spirit and in truth. You have solid biblical teaching that is given. And students, man, I am so proud of you. My, my son, my middle son, Carter, he had to go to something on Thursday night. And, uh, and he said, can we come back? And I said, yes. And so we came back late. We got to the worship center late. We pulled into the parking lot. We parked. I was going in. I thought we would walk together. He opens the car door, says, bye, dad, love you, slams the door and sprints to the brick. I'm like, what? I got a kid who's sprinting to worship Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? And, and listen, it's not, just, it's not just him. It's all of these students. Man, it is so good to be in a church where the students are chasing God like none other. It is so good. The students are proud of you. So proud of you. And dads. Happy Father's Day. 
Hope you are having a great day. Hope you've already had a great day. No, I just bragged on you, but I hope every single one of you have already told your dads, happy Father's Day, right? Um, and hope that dads, you will have an opportunity to spend some time with your families later on today. Uh, but you know, there's not a Father's Day that goes by that I don't think about my father. Uh, see, my father died about 14 years ago, and, and simply put, my dad was my hero. He was bigger than life to me. I have a, have a picture of my dad. Um, this is my dad, and this is my oldest son, Colin. Uh, Colin is now a junior at Texas Tech University, uh, and so this was quite a long time ago, all right? He was two months old. Uh, we were basically packing our bags and moving to the heights when this picture was taken. Um, but man, and I look at that picture of my dad, I, 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 I see such a faithful man, and I love him so much, but every time I think of him, I have over, I'm, I'm telling you, I am overwhelmed of the responsibility that I have as a father to my three boys. See, if they look at me, just 10% just 10% of the way of that I looked at my father, I am sobered and humbled of the responsibility that lays before me. Because this is true, I know, I know, I will never measure up to the hero status of my father. Because I know, I know me. Deep down, there's times that I just feel absolutely inadequate. And you know, I honestly don't think I am alone in this. I bet there's some other dads and granddads in the room that at times feel like you are inadequate. And I don't think it stops with dads and granddads. I think there are some women in the room that feel that way. I think there are students in the room that feel that way. I feel like there are some young adults in the room that feel that way. At all times, we always, all of us experience different seasons where we feel inadequate. And when those feelings of inadequacy come, I think a couple things can happen. Number one, I think we can play this game of just power up, that I am just going to pull the bootstraps up and I'm gonna work harder and strive harder and I don't care what disaster I leave in my wake, but I'm gonna succeed and get ahead. And I feel like there's another response and that response simply is just to give up because maybe you think I will never measure up uh, I, I'm just gonna settle because I know I'll never measure up. So I'm just gonna settle just for a mundane version of me. You know, as, as a kid, as an adult, I often wonder, why did, I, why did I put my dad in such hero status in my brain? Like, what, what was it? And there was this American anthropologist. His name was Ernest Becker. He's, he's, he's passed away, uh, but he was the leading um, voice of the study of heroism uh, in America. And, and, and listen to what he says. I don't, this is, I don't believe this. I want to talk about it, but listen to what he says. He says, each person has a transcendent need to desperately justify himself as an object of primary value in the universe. That each person must stand out. That there's an innate desire in each person to become a hero, to make the biggest possible contribution to the world. He, he says this is where we get our drive to get a bigger house and to get more money and to, uh, and to climb the corporate ladder of success. And, and I would think probably in, in our culture standard of today, that th this is where we get this insatiable desire to have more social media followers. 
where, where we want more likes on our posts, where, where we want to be noticed more or become an influencer more. And this is kind of what power upping looks like. Whatever it takes, I'm gonna go to, to succeed. But Becker says underneath all that is this ache and this pain of cosmic special, specialness. He says that people literally ache to be something special and big and meaningful. And so when this doesn't happen, people a lot of times just give up. And I wonder if we got that wrong. You know, I wonder if, if our quest for being special is confused. You see, I believe that our innate transcendent need is not to become a hero, but to attach ourselves to a hero. What drove me as a little boy is, is, is to be attached to something great. In my mind, that was my father. Now, as my father grew, as I grew, my, I realized that my father had shortcomings, and, and I soon came to realize that there's only one person that is worthy enough that is powerful enough, that is understanding enough to become a hero, and that person is Jesus Christ. And today's text is his resume. So let me give you some encouragement this morning. Uh, I'm gonna encourage us all. Let's just stop trying to make a name for ourselves. Let's just stop it. But rather, let's attach ourselves to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Dads, granddads, you don't have to be the best dad. You just have to point and teach your kids about the greatness of Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna look at a couple things, and this is the main thing, the main thing I want us to get at this morning, uh, is, is if you wanna attach yourself to greatness, if you wanna, dads, teach your kids about the greatness of Jesus, this is what you need to do. You need to exalt Jesus' greatness and imitate his humility. Dads, do this, exalt his greatness and imitate his humility. And dad, teach your kids to do this. Our text this morning is Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, and it's all about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. So for this morning, I wanna do two things. If we're gonna talk about his greatness and we're gonna talk about his humility, we need to look at what makes him so great. If I'm gonna exalt his greatness and teach others to exalt his greatness, what makes him so great? Well, our text this morning teaches us what makes him so great. So let's look together and... Uh, our text this morning, the first thing I want you to know about his greatness is that Jesus is God. Dad, teach our kids this. Jesus is God. Look in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I wanna look at two words. I wanna look at the word image and I wanna look at the word invisible. Let's start with invisible. Paul is affirming what is consistently taught all throughout scripture, and that is that our God is invisible. Look with me in John 4, 24. What does it say? God is spirit. 
First Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, immortal, what? Invisible. John, 1 John 4.12, no one has ever seen God. It is taught over and over and over in the scripture that our God is invisible. Then let's look at this word image. Paul affirms that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. That word image means icon. We get our word icon from it. It is a representation or a manifestation of a thing. Now, you ever wonder why in the 10 Commandments that there's a commandment in there that says we are not to make any graven images that, that, uh, that, that point us to God? Well, we are not to make any images at all that represent God. And, and the reason is because there is nothing that man can create that will fully represent God. That representation and manifestation is only and exclusively reserved for Jesus Christ. Yet Genesis 1 teaches us that we, humanity, that we ourselves are made in the image of God. So let's, let's look at this together. I got a graph behind us and, and I, w- I wanna kind of walk through this together. So as humans, absolutely, we are made into the image of God. We, we are made with personhood. We are made with a mind. We are made with a will. We are made with emotions. But that's where it stops. And Jesus shares all those. But we do not have God's incommunicable traits now, Jesus does, but we do not. See, Jesus is eternal. He is the beginning and the end. He is immutable. The character of God never changes. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing, omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. He is omnipotence. He is all-powerful. Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the what? Exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the visible image of God. He is the exact image of the Father and exactly and precisely represents him. So the first reason we want to tell others and teach our kids about Jesus and attach ourselves to greatness is because Jesus is God. The second reason is that Jesus is creator. Dad, teach your kids this. Jesus is creator. We see this in verse 16, it says this, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator of the physical world. He is the creator of everything you see around us. When you go out to the backyard at night and look at that dimly lit sky because the city lights are so bright, just know Jesus created all that's above. Everything you see and everything you experience in creation, Jesus made it. The galaxies, Jesus made it. 
The mountains, Jesus made it. The deserts, Jesus made it. The prairies, you guessed it, Jesus made it. The vastness of the deep sea, Jesus made it. Jesus made it all. You can't escape his creation. Now, look at me in John 1, 3, it says this, all things were made through him and without him, not anything that was made, that was made. Now, I'm gonna ask you, um, how many of you are ocean people in the room? How many of you are mountain people? Now, listen, I, I'm a mountain person, right? Uh, now, I've come to appreciate the ocean, but I'm a mountain person, right? Uh, now, have you ever stood on top of the mountain and looked out at God's creation and said, my gosh, God is amazing. This is awesome. Have you ever stood on the beach at the, at the, at the line of the water and listened to the roar of the ocean and look out in the distance and see the sunset and have the sea breeze come across your face and look at the vastness of the deep ocean and say, oh my goodness, God created this. Now listen, not only did he create it, but everything about creation gives him glory. It was created for him. And so if you've ever had that experience on a mountain or if you've ever had that experience in the ocean, what you have experienced is God's creation declaring the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ. That's a holy moment you've had. So not only did he create it, but he created it for his glory. Nothing, and I mean nothing in the universe, exists for its own sake. Everything you see, from the galaxies, to the mountains, to the deserts, to the prairies, to the deep, deep seas, everything was made to give Christ glory. And everything exists to make the greatness of Christ fully known. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize that that includes you? That, that, that you, you were made, you were created by Jesus and you were made to give him glory. That's true for Scotty and Scott and Nathan and Meredith and Emma. You were created by God and every single one of you in this room and you were created to give him glory. So not only did he create us and create the world, not only did he create us for his glory, but he also, according to verse 17, holds all things together. Now, science teaches us that there are four fundamental forces. There are gravitational force, there is electromagnetic force, there is strong nuclear force, and there is weak nuclear force. And it is vastly understood in the arena of science that these four forces of, of uh, gravitational pull, or these forces, work together to hold all things together. Not just here on the earth, but in the cosmos and in the heavens as well. They work in tandem with each other. To the very smallest atomic particle here on the, this planet, they work to hold things together. Now, scientists will also tell you that there are questions. 
and there are unanswers. They don't, they don't have answers for everything. For example, there is dark matter and dark energy, and, and both the nature of dark matter and dark energy are not explained by these four current fundamental forces. Now listen, one day, scientists may figure that out. And they may be able to give us a reason about how this works and how this plays in. But even if they do, I will submit and tell you this. If God created everything that you see, he also created these four fundamental forces and he also created dark matter and dark energy. Jesus is the one that holds all things together. Now, now I may have just kind of lost you a little bit, um, so let me see if I can bring it back and talk about um, uh, this guy by the name of Nicholas Copernicus, all right? Um, so if forces didn't get you, maybe this will, all right? So you, you know Copernicus, you may know his work. Uh, Copernicus was an astronomer in the 1500s, and, and before Copernicus came, it was widely understood uh, that the Earth was the center of the universe, that everything rotated around the earth. Like if you walk outside and you could easily come to this conclusion because every morning you get up and the sun rises in the east and the sun sets in the west. You go to bed, you get up the next day, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And this is a pattern over and over, but Copernicus looked at this and he said, ah, something's not right. Something's not jiving here. And so he began to really do a lot of work and he began uh, to put together some hypotheses and he began to do a lot of calculations and these calculations he called mathematical fiction. But as he did this, he began to say, hmm, I wonder if the sun is the one who's the actual center of the universe and not the earth. And of course, we know Copernicus was right. We've been to space, we've developed telescopes that go deep into space, and we know that the sun is the center and not the earth. And listen to you, it is a good thing that the earth is not the center because the earth isn't big enough. The, the earth just simply doesn't have the gravity to keep everything together. The sun does, though. And the sun keeps all the planets in our solar system, including ours, safely in our orbit. Now this is where this means something to us. See, our lives, our lives, individually, your life, my life, our lives, we don't work when we make ourselves the center of our own little universe either. But we, we just don't have the size or the gravity to keep it all together. God didn't design us to be our own center. We aren't big enough to keep everything together. It doesn't work because we weren't created like that. We, we, we were created for Jesus to be the center of our universe and for Jesus to hold all things together. That's why Paul says, Everything was created by Jesus and everything was created for Jesus and Jesus is before all things and Jesus holds all things together. So if we want to attach ourselves to greatness, if we want to uh, exalt the greatness of Jesus, if we want to teach our kids about the greatness of Jesus, uh, we have to know that he is God 
He is creator and he holds us together. And the last thing is that Jesus is the head of the church. He is your savior. In Colossians 1 verse 18 it says this, that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in him everything might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. Paul teaches us that the church is like the human body. We see this in Corinthians. And we know with the human body, we have arms and we have hands and we have legs and we, every part of the body has a different purpose. And Paul teaches that that is the same way with the body, the body of the Christ, the church, that we have different functions, but we all serve to edify the same body. There are prophets and teachers and those with gifts of administration and those with gifts of hospitality. But Paul says here in the text, but the head of the church is Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no church. See, Jesus, he himself satisfied this cosmic rule. By the way, he created that the, to defeat the wages of sin is death. He did this by dying on a cross for you and for me. So Jesus Christ is not only the head of the church, but Jesus Christ is also our king. He defeated death for us. And scripture teaches us that if you repent of your sins and you confess that he is Lord and believe that he died on the cross, that you will be saved. And then the natural response to that uh, is that you will follow him all of your days. So why is Jesus so great? He's so great because he is your God. He's so great because he created you and sustained you. And he's so great because he is your savior. He is the head of the church. Now, Jesus is known as the Alpha and what? The Omega. He's known as the beginning and the what? The end. He's known as the first and the what? The last. So here on this side, we see Jesus in all of his greatness, and we need to exalt that. And dads, we need to teach our kids and point our kids about the greatness of Jesus Christ. But Jesus has both sides covered. Not only is Jesus the greatest, but Jesus is also the lowest. We see in Philippians that Jesus humbled himself. And he went through a process of humility to humble ourselves in a way that neither, in, neither any of us in this room ever have or ever will. First of all, Jesus chose willingly to humble himself to go from God to man. That's a process of humility. And not just a man, but he became a servant. He modeled this at the upper room when he washed his disciples' feet. He said, I came to serve you. 
And so not only did he humble himself to become a man, he humbled himself to become a servant, but not only to become a servant, the scripture says he humbled himself to the point of death, but not just any death, mind you. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, and the cross is reserved for the most vilest and cruelest criminals around. The worst kind of death experience that you could have. Jesus did that. He is the greatest, but he humbled himself till you can't humble yourself anymore. So if we're gonna respond to this, we don't wanna become great like God because we're not the center of our universe, are we? We exalt Jesus's greatness, but what we do is we imitate his humility. And dads, we teach our kids to be humble. And how we do that is we just simply model that ourselves. So what do we do with this? There's, there's two very practical things that I'm gonna encourage us to do with this today. Um, but first thing I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask that one day every week, uh, one day this week, every day, that you tell somebody about how great Jesus is. And one day, you ask forgiveness for someone, for what you've done and wronged someone else. Two very super easy steps. Just tell Jesus how great he is. Now, on staff here at the Heights, um, we have this staff culture, and one of the things that's in this staff culture is the idea that we want to champion others. And what we'll tell our staff all the time is that we wanna be a church uh, staff that gossips. Like, we wanna, we wanna gossip all the time. But we wanna gossip in the right way. See, it's one thing for me to go to Miles over here and say, Miles, man, I love you. You've been a friend for years. You are awesome, and I, this is what I love about you. It's something entirely different for me to go to somebody else and say, do you know that Miles? I love that Miles. Miles reminds me of Jesus Christ, and this is how he reminds me of Jesus Christ. And brag to somebody else about Miles. That's what I want you to do about Jesus this week. I want you to do some good gossip about Jesus Christ. I want you to find a coworker, a friend, a family member, a child, a father, and I want you to tell them how great you think your Jesus is. And I want you to tell them why. Every day this week, I want you to make a practice of exalting his greatness by telling others how he has been so good to you. And then, I want you every day to imitate his humility by asking forgiveness. Let me tell you how this played out in my life yesterday. So, uh, my family doesn't know this, this at all, so this is gonna be news to them. But um, my, uh, my boys are in a baseball tournament this weekend, and my middle son, Carter, has really been looking forward to this tournament. And, his first game yesterday, he uh, was at the plate and first pitch of the game, stand up double, left field, it was beautiful. Next play, next time he gets up to the plate, he's sitting in there and he goes to swing and he turns his wrist and his arm comes and hits, the ball comes and hits his forearm, breaks his arm. 
So we grab him, take him to the, emergent, the urgent care, get the x-ray, confirm that it's broken, and then went back to the game to be there for his second game. And during that second game, I'm mad and I'm frustrated and I'm angry that my son can't play this game. And I know he's incredibly disappointed. And he just says, it's just so boring sitting in the dugout and he's coaching first base. And um, dad on the other team, his son was pitching and he kind of mowed our kids down, struck our kids out. And then after the third strikeout, that dad, it's pretty quiet. That dad stands up and just starts hooping and a hollering. Just goes, whoa, whoa, and did like four times. Like it was loud. And everybody was like, what, what's going on? And I'm sitting over there in my seat and I don't know what came over me and my wife wasn't here, wasn't there and she would have been so mad if she was. <laughs> but I just yelled out, whoa, I, I imitated him, I mimicked him. Now all the parents on my team know that I'm the preacher. And some of them know that I'm preaching today. In fact, I invited some of them to come today. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I just, I, what do I, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. And it just got real quiet. And so the Holy Spirit just began to be more and more and more of a convictor in my life. And so about an inning, two innings later, it was in between innings and his wife got up and walked away. And when she did, when, when she did, I walked over and sat in her chair right next to him. And I said, sir, you don't know me, but man, I made fun of you and I mimicked you. And, and I was out of line. And man, I'm, I'm sorry for that. And, uh, and he said, Man, that's so great. I, you know, no big deal. I appreciate you telling me that. That's so great. My, my son's young. He's actually playing up. And man, I was just so happy for him. And I'm like, I would have been the same way with my kid. See, folks, that, that's what asking forgiveness looks like. And there are people that we wrong every single day. So one day this week, Exalt his greatness. Dads teach their kids to exalt his greatness. Mimic it. Model it. And every day this week, find someone that you can go to to ask for forgiveness. And dads, grab your kids one time and take them with them and model it about how a man should live. Show them what that looks like. This morning, we're getting ready to sing Worthy of It All. I love this song. Um, you're gonna sing these words. You're gonna sing, from him are all things and to him are all things. You deserve the glory straight out of this text. But as we sing this, I want you to think, who do I need to tell about the greatness of Jesus? And I need you to think, who do I need to go out and ask forgiveness for this week? But who, who are my people? So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. And if you even wanna pray about that at the altar, you please do that. You can do that. And we'll sing this song together. We'll confess the greatness of Jesus in this song. You think about who you're gonna ask forgiveness to.
Father, we thank you so much. Father, I pray that in this space, in this place, Father, that you would really reveal yourself to us. Father, that you would show us who are the people in our life that we need to tell about you. Who are the people in our life that we need to exalt you in front of? And Holy Spirit, convict us and show us in this place the people we have harmed and the people who we need to ask forgiveness of. Meet with us now as we sing, I ask. In Christ's name I pray.